0: Well, good morning again. My name is Scott Johnson, and uh, this morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 43. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads in prayer as we get started. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, God, again for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I pray that as we begin to look at Psalm 43, that, Lord, that this message would be a message that you have given me all week to be able to share with our congregation that these people, Lord, who so dearly love you and want to worship you, Lord, that I pray that you would speak through me, Lord, and help them to learn more about you than they knew when they came in. We're grateful for everyone who is here, and again, thank you, Lord, and happy Father's Day to you, our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, for my friends who might have been in our uh, small group, on Thursday night, I just want to start out by saying that Jesus led a sinless life, and that's an inside joke, and they'll know it if they were a part of that, but yes, they know, right. I want to start out this morning, I want to tell you a little story about myself. Um, In the early 2000s, I went into a really deep spiritual funk, if you will, kind of a ditch, as I like to call it. Um, It, uh... It all started out basically when I had, I had been an elder in a church and I had been an elder for a while. And uh, I had been preaching on occasion and I had been teaching a lot of classes and leading a lot of things. And uh, for some reason, and I don't know exactly all of the reasons why, it seemed like that in my mind that I had started thinking that people had stopped listening to me that my ministry was over, and uh, that God was done with me. And I got to tell you, that was, that was a difficult time for me. And, and I wondered, you know, how did this happen to me? Well, when I look back on it and I reflect on it, it started because I had stopped reading the Word for my own nourishment. I had stopped praying to God, confessing my sins, and asking Him, to strengthen me. I had been running the race and I had gotten so busy doing things for the Lord that I forgot to sit at the feet of the Lord. And I failed miserably. My own strength could not hold up what I was trying to do. And so this lasted really about 8 or 9 years. It was a long time. Until Sherry, my wife Sherry uh, who's not here this morning, but uh, she's in Los Animus. Um, she challenged me to, to get my act together, that she needed me to, to go back to being close to the Lord. And so um, we decided at that time we were going to a big church, so we decided to go to a small church, which worked out. I became really good friends with the pastor there. And he started through the Word of God and through the promises of God and through a lot of prayer started to help me heal, started to bring me back. He took me to my advocate, Jesus, and he showed me that Jesus still loved me, that he hadn't left me, that he wasn't done with me. And that changed everything for me. And I became healed spiritually. And I'm here this morning because of him. I'm here this morning because of the work that he did. And so, you know, people ask me, well, where was your God during that time? Well, he was right here in me, and he never left me. He never forsook me, and he's still here. And I I want you and every one of you who go through that very same thing to be able to say the same thing when you come out the other side. So you might ask, well, why would I tell you this this morning? I mean, it's Father's Day, shouldn't we just like rejoice and be happy? What does this story have to do with anything that we're going to talk about this morning? Well, let me give you a little background as we, you know, as we start this morning, we start looking at, at Psalm 43. We have to look back at Psalm 42 that Matt preached on last week. Psalm 42, as we saw, is a psalm of lament. It was a psalm where the psalmist was crying out to the Lord that he had been pursued by an enemy so great that he was just running for his life and he didn't know where to stop. And he was being mocked. He was being made fun of in his in his faith. Like, what are you doing? Where is your God now? And he was being prevented from being able to worship him. And he was crying out to God in his mat so eloquently put it last week that he longed to be in the presence of God, with the people of God, in the house of God, but he couldn't do it. So when we look at Psalm 43, which as Matt also pointed out, that Psalm 42 and 43 are basically one psalm. That somewhere down the road somebody broke into two psalms. And so Matt gave the first two stanzas last week of this one Psalm, and Psalm 43 is the last section of really that one singular Psalm. So as we come into that section, you know, one of the things that we keep in mind is that we don't really know some of the background of some some of the Psalms that we read in Scripture. Some of them you can tell when they were written, what was going on in David's or the author's life. In this particular case, it's a little vague. You know, in in fact, some of the commentators say that we don't really know if this battle that was in the psalmist's head, if it was actually in his head when he was writing this, that he was battling himself, or if he was battling an enemy that really was keeping him at a distance from the place of God. But in either case, this is a psalm that we can all relate to. Because at one point in our lives, either now or in the past or will probably happen in the future, is that you're going to feel distant from the Lord. You're going to feel some despair. You may feel abandoned by Him. So today when we look at the psalm, I want us to see that these misleading feelings that we can have and place blame at the feet of the Lord, how do we deal with these things? How do we overcome this to where we're worshiping the Lord, in the house of the Lord, with the people of the Lord. That's the important thing that we want to get out of today. So let's read Psalm 43 together. It's a short psalm, thankfully. We'll start in verse 1. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation in my God. And if you notice and you are familiar and you remember from Psalm 42, you'll notice also that there's some clues that this is one Psalm because there's parts of it that repeat from Psalm 42. Um, but when we start looking at verse 1 in Psalm 43, we see that the psalmist kind of takes a change in direction from last week. Last week he was lamenting his fate, where he was, and how he was going to get out of it. Well, this time we see him, he turns in verse 1, and verse 1 says this, it says, let's read that one more time together, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. We see that he is asking the Lord to vindicate him from an unjust enemy. An enemy that is deceitful and wicked, who continually mocks him. And we see that in Psalm 42, verses 3 and 10, where his enemy is yelling at him and mocking him and saying, Where is your God? If he's such a big God, where is he? Is he protecting you from me now? Where is your God? He is facing what he sees as an act of injustice, mocking him because of his faith, making fun of his belief in God and keeping him from practicing his faith by not letting him worship as he wants. Have you ever faced an injustice in your life that kept you from worshiping? Have you ever faced an injustice or a mocking person in your life regarding maybe your ethnicity or your weight or your hairline? or an affliction you might have, a limp. In the KJV, it it translates vindicate to judge me. But vindicate is a great word, and so is judge me. In other words, judge me, God. You are the one who knows me. You are the one who is capable of judging me. Defend my case against my enemy. Be my advocate against an enemy that is keeping me from you. Reading through this, we get a sense that of the painful plea to God to take over the battle and finally, finally, finally give me vindication against my oppressive enemy. Find me not guilty against my accuser. Rescue me from the liars and the cheats and the mockers of my faith. Those who think worshiping God is a joke something that is not worth the time that goes into it. It is a heart-wrenching plea for help from the the psalmist to the only one who can give him help, his advocate, the Lord, the living God, as he says in in Psalm 42, the one who knows us, the one who can plead his case. (coughs) Excuse me. Something stuck in my throat. It might be the truth of God. I don't know. (laughs) Um, So when we look at Psalm 139, 1 through 4, it tells us this. He says, "'O Lord, you have searched me and known me. "'You know when I sit down and when I rise up. "'You discern my thoughts from afar. "'You search out my path and my lying down.' and are acquainted with all my ways. And then hear this in verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Is that not an amazing, amazing verse right there? Before, before a word is even on my tongue, O Lord, you know it all together. And if that wasn't enough, verses 23 and 24 in the same psalm, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And as Matt said last week, again, looking at verse 40, or at Psalm 42, it was like a deer being chased, panting for relief, not knowing whether to stop for a drink and be filled with water and be killed or to keep running and die of thirst. The psalmist decided here in verse 1 that it was time to go to the source, his God, the living God, the one who knows him. And then in verse 2 he proclaims God as his refuge. In the NIV it says that God is his stronghold. And if God is his refuge, if he is his protector, his stronghold, <clears throat> then why does he feel rejected by God? Why does he go on mourning in the face of his affliction, the oppression that his enemy has placed on him? These are great questions, not only that he's asking for himself, but also for us today. Because if we know that Jesus is with us and that he will never leave us or forsake us, like it says in Hebrews thirteen five then why do we feel rejected by him at times? Why do we allow ourselves to have those feelings? In this case, the psalmist felt rejected by the apparent silence of the Lord and his inaction during this chasing of his enemy. In his loneliness, and his isolation, he felt abandoned. Have you ever felt God's silence? Have you ever felt like God has abandoned you in your life? Have you ever put yourself in a worse place by asking this question, or saying this to someone else, that a real Christian shouldn't feel abandoned or lost from God, that a real Christian shouldn't feel despair or depression. I wanna say this one thing, I wanna say this, I want you to hear me on this. Depression is real. Many, many people deal with depression every day. Clinical depression is not something to be shameful for or to feel bad about. It is a real affliction. And even if it's strong enough to where you have to take medication prescribed by a doctor, there is no shame in that whatsoever. The only thing that I ask you is that if you're dealing with depression is don't sit in silence. Get help. Talk to somebody. You need to get help. Depression is a real thing. You'd be surprised at how many pastor elders deal with depression on a daily and weekly basis. It's more rampant than you might think. So we understand what it feels like when you're depressed and you feel alone and left. But when we feel our emotions disconnecting us with the truth that we know about God, then we have to deal with it on a spiritual level. We have to find the source of our issue. So in the first place we need to look is in our heart. Is our heart lying to us? Now you hear this a lot. You hear this all the time. Some parents even tell their kids this. I know I've been guilty of that at times. And I catch myself now when I say this. You know, they'll say, follow your heart. Do what feels good. Do what your heart tells you to do. Well, before we give that advice, maybe we should read this verse in Jeremiah seventeen nine, that says this about our heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Ooh, now, yeah. never would have thought that, right? The heart is deceitful and desperately sick. So that kind of changes the idea of maybe, you know, following your heart might not be such a good idea if you're, all you're doing is following your heart. Because in the second half of that, it says, who can understand it? Why is that something that we need to even bring up? Well, because our emotions, they can lie to us. We can't trust them. That's why we need to keep our head and our mind connected to our heart. We cannot let our heart drive the train. truths that we learn about God by reading and studying and applying his word to us on a daily basis. Those truths we learn, those are what drive the train. Our faith is right behind the engine, and in the back in the caboose is our emotions because we can't trust them. And because we can't trust them, then sometimes our own our own biggest enemy is ourselves. We can be our biggest enemy. The great orator Charles Spurgeon said, Beware of no one more than yourself. We carry our worst enemies within us. But not all of our enemies are ourselves. Sometimes our enemy can be a spouse. Sometimes our enemy can be a relative. Sometimes our enemy can be a friend. Sometimes even a boss. It seems like a lot of times those that are closest to us are the ones who hurt us the most. And those that that we might know that are good friends of ours or relatives or even our spouses that might not be believers, they'll mock our faith. And they'll say to us, where is your God now when you're going through a difficult time, when you're in despair, or you're dealing with an illness or a constant physical ailment? Where is your God? You know, if there is a God, why do bad things happen? Why is there pain in this world? Well, yeah. So we need to follow the path of the psalmist as he takes in verse 1, where he goes to the Lord, he goes to the source, his advocate to find vindication. Christian, if you're not aware of this, then hear us on this, that Jesus is our advocate. He is continually pleading our case before the judge, his father, day and night, all day every day first John 2 1 says my little children I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin but if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous we turn to our advocate our stronghold our refuge our Jesus our Savior and we seek his help and we look to his help in his word 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, a verse that we're probably all familiar with, these two verses, it says that all Scripture, not part of Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. To be able to handle those difficult times, because we know God's promises. So how do we get there? How do we get from a place of despair and heartache, loneliness and agony over what our enemies are doing to us, even if our enemy is ourself, even if our enemy is our own sin in our lying heart? It begins with calling on our advocate, our savior, our Lord. It requires a change in our attitude, our own countenance. Our head must take over and we must listen to the truths that we have placed in them that when we have been reading his word and applying it to our lives and studying it and praying with faith that moves mountains. As we looked in the next section here in verses three through five, it'll really give us a way to see how the psalmist was able to change their heart by using their head toward God, moving their head towards God, and going from a heart of despair to a heart filled with exceeding joy. Let's read verses 3 through 5 together. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill, into your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We see in verse 3 that the psalmist says to God to send out his light and his truth to lead them, the light of his word, not his emotions, not his feelings, but the truth and the light of God. Jesus prayed to uh, to his father in the garden of gethsemane the night before he the night he was arrested and right before he was crucified for us. He said these words in John 17:17. 17, 17. He said, "Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth." He was praying for us in the garden of gethsemane and he said, "Set them apart, Father, in your truth because your word is truth." And that, my friends, is a prayer that we should memorize. That's one that we should keep in our heart. John 17, 17. Sanctify them into truth. Your word is truth, not a difficult one to memorize. Repeat it when you're feeling out there and alone. These are the things that must lead us in our faith, not our lying hearts. Use these truths that you're hearing from God's word to help you deal with your enemies. It is these things, these promises of God that help us to overcome. They rain down on us from his word. They give us strength that will lead us to his holy mountain, to where he dwells. I mean, who does not want to, as a Christian, be where God dwells, to be near his holy mountain? I mean, there'd be no reason to come to church if that is not your heart's desire. Bring me to your holy mountain, it says in the NIV, to the place where you dwell, your very dwelling place. You do know one of the things we need to remember as Christians, as those who have put our faith and trust in God, is that God dwells right in here in us that when you put your faith and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. And He stays in you. And so when you're feeling distant and away from God, all you have to do is remember that God has not left you. He lives in you. And you are never out of His presence. He is with you forever. And He will never forsake you. In verse 4, then, the psalmist says that he will go to the altar of God, the altar of God, to God his exceeding joy. I love that verse. When I I was studying this, I was like dumbfounded when I was studying that, that verse and how wonderful that is. Five incredible words, to God my exceeding joy. Can you say that about how you think of God? Is he your exceeding joy? Now, what does that mean, exceeding joy? It is the antithesis of depression. It is a feeling full of gladness and celebration. In the Jewish tradition, it was a joyful event full of dancing and singing. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be dancing and singing. (laughs) At least not outside. Inside, I'm dancing and singing all morning long. Trust me. (laughs) And praising God. in praising God. And see, you can see this is the point in the psalm where the head of the psalmist gets connected to his heart. The truths that he knows of God start to connect with the emotions that he feels towards his Lord. His exceeding joy. And he follows that by praising God, by playing his liar, his instrument of praise, for his advocate, his protector, his refuge, his vindicator, his judge, his God. Where is God, his enemies asked him? He says, He is right here, and I praise his holy name. So I ask you, you know, what is your instrument of worship? How do you praise the Lord? Some have a great musical talent. Some people can play the guitar and the piano. Some people can play the drums. Any number of instruments. I am not good at any of those things. And a lot of us aren't. When I take a spiritual gifts test and it comes to music, I actually get a zero. Nobody gets a zero, but I do. I'm not good at that. So how do people like me, how do we... What instrument of praise can we use? Well, no matter what our singing voices may sound to us, we lift our voices to God. The voices that sing the praises of God. He doesn't hear the fact that we're flat. He doesn't hear the fact that we're off-key. He hears the voice of one who loves him, praising his name. That is the important thing. How else can we do it then? We do it through our prayers. We do it through how we live our lives. We do it by how we treat others. Do we put them ahead of ourselves? How do others think of us? How do others view us as we worship our God on a daily basis? Those are the instruments of praise that God loves. Do we tell his story that he has done for us to other people and see their lives changed for eternity. That is how we play our instrument of praise to the Lord. On his mountain, in his dwelling place, wherever we are, because he's with us wherever we go. The psalmist comes out of his place of mourning the dark place of despair and depression and lostness, to a place of exceeding joy, a place of praise, a place of worship, a worship of his Savior, his advocate, his judge, his God. And this is where God wants all of us to go. Now, in reality, not all of us are going to be there in the same place at the same time. Because some of us are going through some really difficult things right now. And some of the things that you might be going through you don't even want to tell anyone about. There might be a sin in your life that you're hoping that no one discovers. You're hoping that no one finds out about the sin in your life because it's going to change the way they think of you. And so you hide it. And you might hide this feeling of depression and despair you your feeling. You hope that the longer that I ignore this thing, it might just go away. But it hasn't yet, has it? And it won't if you try to deal with it on your own. You need to lean on your God. You need to lean on your advocate. You need to Go to your refuge, your stronghold. It's the only way to defeat this oppressive enemy that might be living inside of you. It's the only way to kill the monster, is to go to God and confess. To go to someone else and get help. We are not intended to live this life alone. We are not intended to worship God alone. Not that we can't do that when we're alone, but in reality, we are a people and community. And that's why we're in the church, which as we know, the church means the gathered. Psalm 55, 22 says this about <clears throat> taking these things that are in our hearts, these burdens that we're carrying around and casting them on the Lord. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. And then Jesus says in Matthew 11:28 28 and 29, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. (laughs) Again, we're not designed to carry these burdens by ourselves. That's not how God designed us, and so we're incapable of doing it. And yet we continually try to do it. But like the psalmist, we need to learn to go to our advocate. We need to go to our sustainer, our savior, our Lord, our judge, our stronghold. Because he is our hope. He is the object of praise. The only one worthy of our worship is Jesus Christ. Which is why when we are not right with him in our hearts and in our minds, it becomes so hard to worship in the presence of God, with the people of God, in the house of God because we're in so much turmoil in our souls. We are designed to worship the Creator. We're designed to praise Him and Him alone. He is our salvation. Do not let your heart run over your head and lie to you about who you are in God and who God is to you and who God is in reality. Cast your cares upon Him. Praise Him. He is the only one who can carry your burdens. Worship the presence of God with the people of God and the house of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how awesome is Your Word! The things that we can learn through five short verses of someone who is going through things that we go through ourselves in our lives. Lord, help us that when we go through these difficult times in our lives, when life is hard and you promised that it would be hard, that we we would face difficulties in our lives, Lord, I pray, God, that we would learn to turn to you for vindication against our enemies, that we would... Confess our sins before you, Lord, that there would be nothing between us, Lord, that we would understand that we cannot carry the burdens ourselves. You did not make us that way. Help us, Lord, to trust you enough to confess our sins, Lord, to confess our pains and our agonies and our despair before you. And then, Lord, may we take that and may we go to your holy mountain, Lord, and you would become our exceeding joy, that we could worship you, Lord, with our instrument of praise, that we would remember that you are our salvation, you are our God, you are our hope. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.